Welcome to Becoming Church, the podcast where we discuss how the message and movement of Jesus is not just about becoming Christians, but about becoming a church. I'm your host, Kristen Mockler-Young, and already I have to admit something to you. (laughs) We had to record the intro to this conversation twice. I had the recording pause and I didn't catch it right away. So when the beginning sounds abrupt, it's because it was. Thankfully, my guest, Ellie Bonilla, was super gracious and he was able to kind of just picked up where I interrupted him. Listen, I don't know, maybe it was meant to be as an example of the self-grace that we end up circling back to at the end of our conversation. So whether you're killing the game today or you're feeling like you can't do anything right, I hope you feel seen by this conversation between Ellie Bonilla and myself. All right, Ellie Bonilla, I am so excited to have you with us on the podcast today. How are you? I'm doing I'm doing fantastic. It is a hot day here in Louisiana. Yeah, it is a hot day here in this podcast studio. Listen, I can't do it. I can't fake it for them. We have to just tell them. What yeah, happened. we'll just be honest, guys. <laughs> so Ellie and I have been sitting here chatting for a while, just cutting yeah. it up. I mean, the best content that y'all have ever heard in your life. And then I realized that I had paused the recording. So now we're trying to like, you know, get back into it. We were going to fake it. We were, I made it all of five seconds yeah. faking them, faking yeah. our listeners out. <laughs> that we it haven't was, been having was, this conversation. Great. I mean, this, we're, we're all warmed up. Everyone gets to see it just firing on <laughs> all cylinders now. We warmed up. We're ready to go. Listen, I am nothing if not imperfect. So let's just put that out there right now. So where we were when I realized that the conversation was not being recorded is I said, I want you to introduce yourself to our listeners that may not know you yet. So hit me with three random facts, bullet points, if you will, about yourself. Yeah. So uh, rugby player in university, about two and a half years, I did that. If you don't know what rugby is, it is football without pads mixed in with rules from like basketball and uh, soccer and and it's it's a mess. I, w- I was an athlete uh, just growing up, uh, just playing in the street with friends, playing on some teams. Got to college, they had open tryouts. It was like a sign in the in the gym, and I was okay. like, yeah, I'll go try out. Like I'm I'm not on any teams here, so jumped in. And uh, you know, I'm in my 30s, but my joints are, feel like they're in their 60s because of it. <laughs> but uh, but uh, you have all your teeth. I mean, isn't that I a thing? Do. Oh, praise God. <laughs> and I will say this, like if you ever watch rugby, um, I, I'm not a, I'm not a big dude. And so and praise God for that, because the smaller dudes get to be on the outside of the lines that we form. So I don't have much. Contact. Okay. But man, the guys on the inside, the big guys they we had some toothless wonders um, there <laughs> on the inside. It was uh, pretty scary. So uh, that's fact number one. Uh, fact number two, my so I have a uncle that is a he was he's a Christian artist and his song just got featured um, in a show, a Marvel show in uh, no called, yeah, called Moon Knight. It premiered on Disney Plus and his song got premiered twice. The song he recorded originally in the 70s. And so. Oh, wow. Yeah, they picked it out of nowhere. My uh, aunt and uncle uh, told me the story. They got like a package in the mail that said Disney on the front and they opened it and it said um, it said Marvel Studios and Confidential. 
and pulled it out and it was a contract to ask if they could use the song. Wow. And so, so they, and they used it because sometimes they use covers, but they didn't yeah. use a cover, they used his voice. So he is- That is so cool. So I claim that I'm in the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, because my uncle is so <laughs> Nia in there. So I exist. I exist somewhere in the Marvel world. Uh, so that I think is another fun fact. And oh, that's then, awesome. um, man, uh, third, third fun fact. I, if I, man. You're overthinking it. You're over. <laughs> I am. I, What's those, your favorite those food? Two were so like, <laughs> those um man i yeah i am overthinking it uh i a uh, fun fact i got to gr grow up in the greatest nation on earth uh the republic of texas and so oh, okay so just uh yeah that's that's always a fun fact to bring up any texan will tell you that uh i was just gonna say facts. i never lived in texas but everybody that i know who ever lived in texas for even like an hour claims to have been from texas so i feel yeah. like it's just a stronghold there <laughs> and so that might be the funnest fact i gave you great facts but living in texas is a, is a very fun fact for me <laughs> oh well thank you for helping us just to get to know you a little bit now something that's very very exciting is you have a new book coming out called mm -hmm. mixed yeah is this your first book it is, it is. <gasps> even more exciting yeah and tell me when it launches uh, it, so it actually launched, it launched, um, a month and a half ago, uh, okay. but we're still in the launch phase of pushing it out. Obviously I'm on podcasts with you, but podcast was there. I did a book signing, uh, at Barnes and Nobles here in Louisiana and Baton Rouge, where I live now, uh, to Barnes and Nobles. So I'm in, I'm fresh. I, it, this is just came that out. So um, fun. it's been cool for sure. That's so fun. Well, I love the cover. It looks like a form for anybody that hasn't seen it yet. And we'll link it up. But it looks like a form that you would check off like yeah. at the DMV or any place. And it's got check boxes, you know, black, white, Hispanic, Asian. Yeah. And then you've got mixed, right? Just like, here's a yeah. new option. Although I am going to tell you, it looks very cool. But I, as a very white, snowflakey white <laughs> person. When I look yeah. at it, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. So is this book only for people who identify culturally as mixed? Because if so, mm. I don't know that I apply here. Yeah, no, that's a good, that's a good question. And you know, uh, what got me started writing this and be, even before I got with a publisher was uh, the conversation around race and ethnicity at first. Um, mm -hmm. My background is my mother's from the Dominican Republic and my dad's from okay. Mexico, but I was born in California, raised in Texas, went to school in Tennessee, Oklahoma, lived in Florida. I'm like, as American as you can be, right? Like sure. American states. <laughs> and so uh, when, when things were being talked about when it came to the race conversation, I think we were all kind of trying to find our place within it. Uh, regardless of your background, you wanted to find your place in it because everyone was having it. And, uh, and I began to write with uh, a bit of an angst because I was like, I'm this, but I'm also that. Um, yeah. But being this and also that also means that I'm not all this or all that. You know, mm -hmm. so it's like, oh, I get to be around, but I'm not, I can't completely identify. And people have told me that. I felt that. I felt the tension. And so as I continued to write um, and eventually, you know, got uh, this deal with a publisher and and was asked to write 
uh, 50,000 words about it, which by the way, you don't know if you know something until you're asked to write 50,000 words about it. Uh, so you're going to find out. That. <laughs> exactly. In my research, as I continued to flesh it out, I realized I was like, wait a second, I'm not, this is not a race or ethnicity um, conversation at its core. It's an identity conversation. And okay. as I continued to break it down and it got more nuanced because I was like, okay, I, I need to break this down to its core. Uh, it was it was more about not just uh, a cultural conversation, an ethnic conversation. It grew into a social conversation, a spiritual conversation, the church, the nation. And then I, I realized how many different dimensions of our lived experiences contribute to the complexity inside of us. So you may identify yourself racially as white or black or I'm just Mexican or I'm just um, a Korean you can categorize yourself that way, but if you really start peel, peeling back the layers, uh, you have so much more that makes you who you are on the inside. And so even if you're a white person hanging around with white people, it won't take you more than three to four minutes in a conversation to realize how much more different you are than the person sitting across from you that may look like you may even grow up in the same neighborhood as you. And so this book, uh, delves into that, that everyone has felt at one point or another, like an outside in their own story. And so feeling like an outsider and those pieces that are confusing to yourself, I wrote this book as a, a, um, a roadmap to how I found, um, an anchor point for my identity. So I hope that brings. Cool. It. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think identity I think there's a misconception of our identity, right? That like we are this thing or we are this personality or we are this person. Right. But even just hearing you say, you know, I'm this and I'm also this, I'm that. And also this seemingly opposite thing resonated with me so much because maybe not racially or culturally, but like I am a female pastor and I am also very loud. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? I have this personality that does not stop. And so people don't always want to put these two things together sometimes. You know, I am a mom and a wife and a sister and I, a daughter, and I adore my family with everything that's in me. But also I have a very strong sense of independence and needing to be my own person. And so, yeah, I think our, our identities are much more multifaceted than maybe we've thought that they were. Is that something that you kind of have found as, when, as you were writing? Yeah, no, and, and that's what I, I tried to get to the bottom of uh, because really it's, I think we have an unhealthy obsession with um, oversimplifying for the sake of understanding. Ah, uh, that's good. You know? And we, we just want to understand and so instead of doing the hard work of understanding, we oversimplify in, in many ways to make ourselves feel better, like we, we know what's going on. Um, and I think for, for myself, when I tried to oversimplify who I was in order to fit in or, you know, and we, uh, many of us, I mean, we all go through it every stage of our life trying to fit in, whether you're in middle school, sure. you're in your career, you're trying to find where, what slot sure. you fit in. And, um, right. and I think that there's a there's a danger to oversimplification. As a matter of fact, there's a part um, in my book. I, it's a section called "It's Not That Simple," 
And, and I think that the answer wow. to identity is not how can we make identity digestible, uh, but rather uh, the journey with God to reveal all who we were created to be. Because like you said, and you mentioned a couple of, of um, different phases of life in your identity, which you weren't always, like you weren't always a mother, right? Sure. You weren't right. always yeah. past yeah. Uh, there, there is levels of revelation of, of who God has designed you to be that makes themselves manifest in different seasons. And so even to say, this is who I am, give it five years, you know, give it <laughs> exactly. you know, have a kid. I have if, you, if your personality, if you haven't changed yet, hang on, buddy, because it is yeah, exactly a hundred, a hundred percent. And so I think that this book is, uh, I, I hope to throw a monkey wrench in the conversation about identity to bring humility back, to say, guys, we're all on a journey of discovering who God has created us to be. Sometimes he'll reveal to us way ahead of time, like he did to Jeremiah, when Jeremiah's like, no, I'm too young to be a prophet. He's like, hey, I know you're young, but you're still a prophet. You know, that there are certain things that God will reveal. And then along the journey, uh, other things that the Lord will reveal like he did with um, uh, Paul, where Paul knew all the things that he was until the Damascus Road, and then there was an, another revelation, but he didn't ditch everything that he was. Instead, it was flipped. And so, yeah, I think uh, uh, my my goal with this book is to bring at least a level of humility back to the conversation around identity and us to go on a journey together in a more paced, healthy uh, manner. I'm hearing transformation as like, an underlying thing of what you're saying. I think a lot of times, you know, there's a lot of books about identity, right? There's been a lot of sermons preached on identity. There's all kinds of things about identity, but I think what I'm hearing you, I feel like it's often like find your identity and then live it out. Or like your identity is as a Christ follower and live that out. But what I'm hearing you say that I think is missing in this conversation, and I'm glad that you're bringing it is that, yeah, our identity changes. But it's also not like, okay, I was this and now I throw that away and now I am that. Like we transform and parts of us stay and they develop and they change. And I am I am not the same person I was even three years ago, but it doesn't mean that I'm I have a completely different identity. It's just God is shaping me and molding me into a better version of myself. And I truly hope he keeps doing it <laughs> until as long as I get to live on this earth, you know? Yeah, yeah. And um, I, I want to say it's in, in First John that he, uh, John writes that uh, about the return of Jesus. And it says that when we see him, we'll be like him. But until then, we are becoming, as he's revealed to us, we are becoming more like him. And I think that that is, uh, that's kind of the, 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 anchor word for me in writing this book was a it's a becoming story like you're always yeah. becoming like you're never identity is not an arrival point it's at the end of my race i i want to look as much like christ as i was permitted to while i was on the side of eternity that's good that's that's yeah. the goal and so because on the side of eternity i will never be the fullness of christ according to john saying Hey, until he comes back and until we're there in glory with him, we're not going to be completely like him. Uh, that the goal until then is you're continually becoming more like him as you see him. Um, and yeah. 
And so I think that that's a, a part of the identity conversation that I want to add to uh, is that journey of identity, for sure. Yeah. I think a lot of identity talk to also self-centers, right? Because we're like, well, what's my identity and who am I? Right. What do you think people can do to kind of affirm the identity of other people? Because surely we're in this world with other people, you know, how can we see their identity and encourage the identity of others? Uh, by doing the homework of understanding what their identity is. And, and that's why I think it's so crucial whenever, you know, Jesus is pressed on what's the biggest commandment. Okay. Well, it's, you know, to love the Lord, your God with all your uh, soul, mind and strength. Right. And it says, and then there's a second one uh, that's just as important, love your neighbor as yourself. And I think a lot of what is happening right now is there is a overemphasis or maybe even an over uh, glorification of diversity, which is not necessarily the goal of the Bible, right? The Bible assumes diversity. Okay. The, the Bible already assumes that. It's, it, it's okay. like, that's the base. Of course, we're different. The power of Babel, you guys need to go. It's all in there. Yeah. It's all over the place. <laughs> you get to the upper room. You get to the sojourners that joined Moses in the Exodus. Diversity is in the Bible from beginning all the way through Revelation 7, 9, when all the tribes and languages are before. Yeah. And so I I, I think the, the what the Bible is actually more interested in answering is the, uh, the concept of unity. That's the big one. That is what we have been fighting for a millennia. The devil's first attempt of, of thwarting creation, and he was successful with, was division. And that first division between man and God. And so if we want to get on a journey of how can I treat my neighbor better, it's understanding that there's a disconnect vertically first. And in the connection vertically, then I get to see myself, and, and as I said, in seeing Jesus, seeing ourselves, that I have to do some internal homework of saying, where have I lifted myself as an idol in my life? Where have I made Jesus in my image, in other words? And if I can handle that it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me, then what flows out of that uh, is a greater grace, a greater mercy, a greater pace for conversation and patience for people that are different than myself, then I could afford them if my goal is, let me just gather people that are different than myself. Your flesh doesn't want to be around people that are different than you. Your flesh wants you to be elevated above others. It wants you to put yourself in a place of power. And so it's changing the source. And so I, I would say that uh, we need to be very, very careful in the conversation around diversity, that the source of that is, is not to say we want to be uh, multicolored or even multi-ethnic, but saying that um, we have one thing in common and that there is one foundation. And when you understand the one, then every, you can add everything to it. It's not the other yeah. way around. Like yeah. that you don't want a house, for example, like you don't want a foundation for your house to be segmented, right? You don't want to crack going through the middle. You want one foundation. And so, so my hope with how can we reach people that are different than ourselves? It's like, okay, well then first, I, before I add people to me, I need to know that I'm standing on something that is solid and that is one and invite people into that. Um, 
And so, yeah, yeah, I hope, I hope that that makes sense. It's, it's a lot to unpack, yeah. but uh, that's where I venture into in, in my book for sure. Yeah. Well, and it goes back to that humility piece that you were talking about. You know, if I'm only focused on me, then, right. and I can't see my own shortcomings, my own places that I need to grow, the, the places where God is working in my life. And it's really hard to see that in other people. And then they do become right. competition, like and, you said, you know, you know or we, someone, or someone to beat. For sure. And we fed that culturally. Um, we have, we have fed uh, people that they don't have to change. Others have to change. And that sounds, uh, it sounds romantic, right? Because it sounds like freedom. Uh, but the reality is that's not what the Christian call is, right? It's like, Hey, you want to be the leader, serve everybody. Like, hey, you want to be the greatest? Be the least. Hey, you want to sit in the front? Sit in the back, you know? You model it, what you want them to do, actually. Yeah. Absolutely. And so it, it's not me. And exactly, that's the, the part of the self-sacrifice is this. It's saying that I, I'm not going to ask the world to change for me. I'm going to ask to be changed. And that's so, that is so counterintuitive, but that is the model of Jesus, is yeah. that uh, that's the way he modeled it to his disciples. Uh, he's like, mm -hmm. you, want, you want to change the world? Sacrifice yourself for it. Yeah. It, it's, it, and in, in it, it, it is a mind-blowing thing, but what, I, what I've noticed, at least in, in my journey, is um, that I love better when I die to myself. Mm -hmm. And that my love is a lot less self-centered. It's a lot less selfish. There's a lot less maneuvering and well how can i do this thing so that person changes who they are to to make sure that all of this works it's like no my my goal in life is not to change people to serve me my goal in life is to serve people and yeah. uh, and i feel like that love feels different and, and culture is not touting that uh i, I want to mention this one thing i feel like i'm i'm just i'm like talking a million miles per hour but go, go. <laughs> well, I, had, I had this thought. So this book deals a lot with um, uh, self-acceptance, um, right? Because I needed to okay. to accept myself. And I was learning to accept that I was different. And there's sure. a, a lot about that. Um, but I've, I've really been writing a bit now for my second book. And, you know, if this, is, if this book mixed is, is on the side of uh, self-acceptance, you know, I really want to write like kind of the counterbalance to it, which is self-denial. And it's like, okay. how do you live a healthy life of self-denial? Uh, because I think that is a large part of this book that I don't want to get lost. That it's, it's like, I, in trying to find myself, I found Jesus, you know? And it was like, oh, it, you know, it was got really complicated. Like I really knew. You've been here the whole time. <laughs> exactly. I read dozens of books, listened to dozens of talks, hours and hours of crudging. And it's like, I found Jesus, you know, it, yeah. it, it's kind of like a, a, the joke. It's like the philosophical joke. It's like all these philosophers are clowning, climbing this mountain of enlightenment only to get to the top and find like, uh, a, a Christian praying like it's you know it's like get to the top and it's like wait a second you know it's it was Jesus all along it was all this work just to find okay. out that he was as 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 simple as um Jesus and it, it by no means is it a compound but I do I do think that 
kind of the next phase in culture, at least for Christians, Christians, I'm going to speak to Christians, is uh, to be very, very careful uh, where we where we place um, ourselves in relation to our calling, because the gospel is a lot of come and die. And historic is what is what the call is. And so um, I'm afraid that if we cater a little too much to the self, that when it's time for the Shadrach, Meshachs, and Abednegoes to stand when everyone bows, uh, that we'll be too full of ourselves to do that. You know, and so. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is definitely, I'm glad that you're writing this, as you called it, counterpoint book. But I also think that sometimes we don't make this easy for people to understand. And like, I know it comes from scripture and I know things like self-sacrifice and dying to ourselves and, but yo, like unpack that in this book, because I know, at least for me growing up as, you know, a little girl in the church, all I heard was don't have opinions, Mm. give every like if somebody asks you for something you have to share everything you have with them if somebody else wants to do something they get to go first and so that's not actually what it's about right Right. and so I think that self-sacrifice and self-denial has actually led a lot of people into a toxic space solely because they didn't understand what the concept really was and what Jesus was truly calling us to like even when I came into ministry I struggled with this so much because I was like, what I heard, I'm pretty sure it's not what was actually being said, but what I heard was you need to tone down and you need to become someone else. And Mm. that was the scariest thing for me because I was like, if I let go of my personality and I let go of my spunk and I let go of all of the things that I feel like make me me, Mm. then I don't know who I'm going to be. And that wasn't actually what self-denial and dying to myself was right. that wasn't self-sacrifice. Right. It was that transformation that you're talking about. Like God just wanted to kind of soften the <laughs> the edges of me a little bit, sure. you know. Well, and I think that that's what uh, the life of Paul demonstrated so well. Yeah, I think that's why I'm like, it's so awesome how God wrote it. Like he dies, resurrects. The the apostles go out, and then he says, "Watch this," and he gets the guy that. Sh- should not. He should not be the guy. And he's like, <laughs> these apostles are going to handle uh, reaching the Jews. You're going to take the rest of the world, right? Yeah. And he and 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 I think what what I love about Paul is Paul con- he continually reminds us who he is, not yeah. even necessarily who he was, right? Uh, yes. in, in certain points, he'll say, "Hey, hey, I was this." But he does yep. draw the through line of, and now God is using this part of me. You know, God's using my Roman citizenship and my education as a Jew of Jews and a Pharisee of Pharisees, right? right? Like he's using my my philosophical hat on Mars Hill, you know, growing up where he did in Tarsus, where, where he was at the epicenter of culture and the Greco-Roman um, ideas and, and wrote a bit about that. But I think that in self-denial, uh, it's it's saying that all that I am now is not in self-service to me. Yeah. And that every, like my personality, my humor, all my talents. My, my intelligence. Yeah. Yes. All of that is now used in the hands of God for transformation. And so I'm, you know, it, and so you can still make people laugh, 
Uh, but now when it is a ministry, <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, yeah, my personality is a ministry now. And Paul, yeah, Paul alludes to that all over the place. It's like, hey, you know, everything that I, I was, now I use in order to win people to the Lord. And so when I'm with the Jews, I'm like a Jew. When I'm with the Gentiles, I'm like a Gentile. I, I'm using everything in my arsenal that God has given to me, uh, but now for his glory, not my own. And so It's the story of the potter and the clay, right? Like as long as we stay in the potter's hands, then we're moldable. And right. he can continue to shape us. It's as soon as we remove ourselves yes. from God and remembering that, okay, when we're in his hand, it's a ministry and he can use mm. all of it. It's when we go, hey, I'm going to sit over here on the table that we get cold and hard and brittle and breakable yeah. and no longer can be transformed. Yeah. And you don't know what it's vessel you need to be in, in, in this season. You know, yeah. and the beauty of the, the that, um, you know, where when Jeremiah breaks, when God breaks that down to Jeremiah, it's so... It's like you you have no idea what vessel you need to be. So stay on the wheel, stay on the wheel, let them mold you, uh, let them shape you. That's self-denial. That's self-denial. Yes. Still, yes. still the same lump of clay. But if you stick with God long enough, you'll see how much dimension he brings to your life and how useful uh, and, and purposeful your life will become. Yeah. Oh, we found it. We found the perfect analogy. That's it. We got, we got it. That's <laughs> no. good. There you go. All right. So Ellie, you recently posted on Instagram that you had a goal to begin preaching in Spanish, right? Yeah. yeah. Explain to people who may not understand why this matters to you and why this is important. Yeah. So um, I am second generation uh, Latino and probably one of the biggest tension points within the community is uh, the point of language and culture. Um, okay. Specifically language. Uh, there is. Um, a majority of, I, I think it's over 70% of American Latinos prefer English as their language of choice, regardless if they're okay. bilingual, which is, um, you know, it's just a surprising number. Uh, and to match that, uh, going into 2050, when uh, the Latino community becomes by far and large the largest um, ethnic minority group, um, it, it, it is said that about 76% of that population is going to be American born. And so, wow. you know, giving giving that context is to show within the, the Latino community, it's not one size fits all. And there's a lot of tension in there. And, uh, and a lot of it surrounds uh, language. And so my grandfathers are both missionaries to the United States, believe it or not. They were pastors in their okay. nations, and they came and planted churches in the United States. Oh, so how cool is my that? My Dominican grandfather in Passaic, New Jersey, and um, my Mexican grandfather became a bishop of a region for our denomination and then planted in San Antonio. Um, and so uh, there were Spanish speaking. My, my Dominican grandfather, he, he went to his grave not knowing English. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't learn English, didn't have to. He grew up in a community, sure. uh, didn't have to. Uh, a lot of Latinos in New Jersey, New York, um, as many may know. And then uh, in San Antonio, my other grandfather, he learned English and my parents are bilingual. Well, growing up, because my parents uh, got their undergrads and masters here in the United States, they were so proficient in English, just spoke English in their home. Uh, but I, I did feel a separation uh, going to my dad's church that was a all Spanish speaking church at the time um, and not being sharp with my Spanish and then being made fun of because my Spanish was bad and it was broken. Ah. And oh, I'm not Latino enough. 
because I have an accent or that word's not a real Spanish word. That's a Tex-Mex word. That's a Spanglish word. <laughs> okay. Like, yeah. Like everything thrown my way. So I was like, well, then I'm not, I'm not going to speak Spanish. Like, forget this. Uh, which oh, is why I got really uh, pushed towards the African-American community when I was in middle school. You know, my mom being a black okay. woman from DR, uh, she, um, you know, I'm, I'm African in descent, but Latino in ethnicity. And so okay. I was like, well, if the Hispanics are not going to accept me because I'm not Hispanic enough and I don't speak the language, I'm, I'm going to roll uh, with my black friends because I'm black. I'm, I'm still black. And so I'm like, so I rolled with them. I lost a lot of the Spanish, um, you know, and I, I've pointed fingers my whole life on. It was my parents that I, or it was my peer group that reason I didn't learn Spanish. But I, you know, I, I think uh, as I've been on this journey of, of healing, really a lot of healing, forgiving a lot of people, I, I kind of realized, I was like, you know, I'm, my, my vocation is, is ministry and preaching. And, um, you know, I think that this is a part of my story that God wants to redeem. Um, and I have no excuse not to learn the language. I'm proficient enough to have conversations, not proficient enough to preach yet. Uh, but okay. I, I, I spoke at two Hispanic churches and I needed a translator, even though I'm like, okay. I'm like, what am I doing? And I think I had that, I had that moment where I was like, you know, I think I need to forgive a couple of people because, um, I think God is calling me back to Latin America and I've had actually a lot of invitations to come preach in Latin America. I just haven't mustered up the courage to do so. And so I think, um, in large part, if, if you're, someone that's listening to this and you're second gen immigrant, not just Hispanic, Slavic, uh, Asian, and you feel like you're sure. losing language. And, you know, uh, there's a, there's an ounce of you that feels like you want to learn again, or you're wondering if you can, uh, I'm taking the challenge upon myself to, to be an example of, can you do it in your thirties? And so I'm going to make the effort to do so. And I gave, I gave myself a year because I need a date. I'm just a person that just needs a, yep. here's a yep. date. And by next July, uh, you will see me preaching in Spanish. Um, and so there's a, there's a lot of shame in second gen, gen culture because of that. And so yeah. uh, I'm, I'm, choosing, I'm choosing to say yes to that journey. Well, and I hope you've seen, you mentioned shame and having to forgive other people, but I, I would imagine, I hope I'm not overstepping here, oh. that one of the people that you probably need to forgive in this process is yourself maybe yeah, for yeah. losing it to begin with. Sure. Yeah. No, to be able to let go of that shame, right. Of like, like you said, of redemption that God can still use you and it doesn't disqualify you. And he's not going to take away these opportunities. The opportunities are already there because God knows that he's given you the gifts and the talents and the skills, and he knows what he's calling you to. Right. Yeah. No. And, and I, I totally a hundred percent agree with you. Um, and, and yeah, and I write that a bit about that in the book of just this, this journey of man, I'm not enough. And then I, I kind of take two sides of the conversation where I'm like, um, the external factors and my internal factors and having to yes, forgive outside, but then, um, also inside like, man, how much, how much of this is is me because at, at a certain point everyone is responsible the the bible's the bible is clear it's like 
you know, I guard my salvation with fear and trembling. Like there's a responsibility component with my calling that I have to guard. And, um, you know, having that uh, come to Jesus moment to say, man, God, I, I feel like I fumbled. And for God to look at me and say, um, but you're not, you're not without a hope in the future. And that's like even, that's the Jeremiah passage, right? Like where we get that Jeremiah 29, 11 is we forget verses four through seven, where it says, I'm, I'm taking you guys into exile. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. even in that, like, cause you fumbled bad. Like, they fumbled very bad. <laughs> uh, like you fumbled bad, but in the same breath, you can say, say, but there's still a hope in the future. And I have to reconcile with that. Like, for sure. Other consequences could have for it. The last decade been speaking Spanish and getting this message to 20 nations and Latin, of course, but I can't live there. I can't live there. I have to also right. live. I have to also live with that. There's a hope in a future and that God redeems all things. And as I say in the book, there's a, there's a passage in the book and it goes back to Paul, man, we're, we're hammering Paul on this podcast, <laughs> but there, there's a, there's a part of the chapter that says, uh, Away, it's waste management and how nothing is wasted. There's nothing wasted. No season is wasted. And so coulda, shoulda, woulda, uh, for sure. But I can't live there. I can only live no. here now and believe for a future. And so I'm not going to paralyze myself with the past. Um, I have to uh, go to the Lord and allow him to shape a future. Uh, that would shock me and surprise me. And so my my prayer is that, I will be shocked and surprised on the other side of this, how much God still wants to do, still can do, yeah. uh, you know, how, uh, how uh, embraced I will be in this future that um, I won't be tethered to the shame of, of a past that I can't do anything about. Yeah. It's extending grace to yourself too, you know, and, and coulda, shoulda, woulda, we can, oh, I mean, geez, we can all sit back and think on those. But I think when we get stuck there, what we're actually doing is saying, God, I don't believe that you were working on something else at the time, or God, I don't believe that you can actually come through this because listen, I have a hundred coulda, shoulda, woulda just from this last year, but I have to stop myself and go, maybe the reason that didn't happen wasn't just my own fear or my own imposter syndrome. Maybe it is actually because God was doing something else through me and the timing just wasn't right. And I may never know that. And so I think that's part of even believing for the future, you know, giving grace to yourself and, and having faith that God actually knows what he's doing, even yeah. when we don't understand it. hundred percent. So. Uh, Ellie, thank you so much. This has been really great. Is there anything else that you wanted to say? No, I think we we covered it all. Um, yeah, I, I, I write this in every book that I sign um, that people would never forget uh, to always anchor their identity in Christ. Mm. Always do that. Don't let don't let the complexity of the conversation overwhelm you, because at the end of the day, if you search uh, high and low, you'll always find Jesus. And so. So, well, thank you so, so much. We'll link all of the book and everything else up in the show notes below. That 
passage in Jeremiah about the potter and the clay really just sums up what it means to find our identity in Christ. It reminds me of one of my favorite, though heartbreaking, stories of a clay piece that my daughter made for me when she was young. I'll put the message in the show notes in case you want to hear any more about that. If there's anything else we can do to help you realize your identity in Christ, there are resources available at mosaicchurch.tv, or you can always reach out on Instagram or via email, info at mosaicchurch.tv. Until next time, keep becoming church to the people around you.